Welcome to the Sunday Worship Podcast, where we explore the questions of Sunday worship and why we gather to worship God in the ways that we do. Whether you are a new Christian or have been following Christ your whole life, our prayer is that you will glean something from these conversations to help propel you towards a deeper intimacy and understanding of who God is and why we worship our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm your host, John Rowe, and I'm the worship director here at New Life Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm joined today by Dr. Vinny Zarletti. I have known Vinny for 40 years as we went to preschool together, grew up in the same church, went to the same school for undergrad where we both majored in music. We both did the same master's program, and we coincidentally both work at churches called New Life Church, though they're not affiliated. Dr. Zarletti brings extensive knowledge and experience in the realm of worship and formation. He is a professor of music and chairman uh, of that department at North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He has an extensive catalog of music he has written and also splits his academic responsibilities by remaining in ministry and serving as a music pastor at his church with his wife, Justine. And I'm excited to talk to Vinny. He's a great friend. But we're going to be talking about singing and musical worship today as it relates to our Sunday worship experience. So, Vinny, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's great to be with you today. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, before we dive into some theology of why we sing and the importance of singing in worship, I'm wondering if you could just start to talk about your own story with music and worship, which is, spoiler alert, maybe slightly intertwined with my story. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your your story with music? Yeah, I, I grew up singing. My family was a singing family. My parents uh, were both really serious about singing. And so for us, it just seemed really normal around the house to always be harmonizing and singing and listening to music. Um, I was pretty shy when I was young, and although my parents were encouraging me to get involved at school and at church especially, I did try to uh, not do that, although in the end I gave in and started to sing out and sing solos and uh, things of that nature, but I'd say probably around eighth grade I started to take music pretty seriously, and um, mm -hmm. I was singing on a worship team in ninth grade at the set the standard retreat um not sure but you very likely were on that I, worship I, team. I, I remember i remember and, and i i felt god call me into ministry uh there while on the platform singing background harmonies as a 15 year old and mm -hmm. um since that point i've been pretty focused on music that led me to study music in college and then go on from there to what's turned into a, a lifetime of singing and leading leading others yeah yeah when you know you mentioned the shyness like how did like was there like a specific song like with music that just absolutely captured you or was there like this specific specific moment where you just felt like i'm in love with music i don't know if i could trace it back to a particular song i'd have to say Maybe it's so hard to say goodbye by Boys to Men <laughs> uh, was was one that really I would say like with my 
school friends and we would we would harmonize and sing that and then <laughs> Uh, we had a karaoke machine in my basement and it had two tape decks on it where you could play a track and then record yourself singing it. And yes. so I would go through my dad's performance tracks of solos that he would sing at church or my own sing a, a cover of a Ray Bolt song or a Carmen song or Stephen Curtis Chapman and sing yeah. along and record myself singing it. Um, so yeah, I'd say it was a, it was some like '90s era R&B boy bands and like the Gaither vocal band and CCM on the other side. Uh, strangely, all together drew me in. Uh, all together, yes. Uh, you know, Vinny. For those of you listening, Vinny mentioned the uh, Boys to Men song. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Vinny could literally sing all of those parts: the bass, the baritone, the tenor, the alto part. He uh, was still is very good at harmonizing and hearing all of the, the vocal parts. So yes, um, yeah, that, that tracks with your story. So love it. So, you know, turning our attention here a little bit to singing and worship. And before we dive into like, why do we sing on Sundays? I'm wondering if you have thoughts or can talk about a little bit about how we've gotten to this point with Sunday worship and how singing is, has become synonymous with the word worship. And for those of you who've listened to other episodes of this podcast, you know, we talk about a lot of different forms of what worship is, that worship isn't just singing. It is the word. It is going to the communion table. It is our prayers. And yes. So, uh, back to singing. I wonder, I'm wondering if you you have thoughts on how we got to this point that people so readily identify uh, worship and singing together. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a big question and we could take it from like modern times, why people currently think of it that way, but the association mm -hmm. between worship and singing goes way, way, way back. Um, singing has been a part of Christian worship since the very beginning. In fact, Jewish worship contained singing, and the early church right. kept that tradition going. Um, uh, one of the earliest examples to point to is the book of Psalms, often referred to as the oldest hymn book of the church. Right. Uh, the Psalms have been sung in worship for literally thousands of years. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus quoted the Psalms as if they were always on the tip of his tongue. And then in the Psalms themselves, we find instructions to sing. I can think of a few off, you know, like uh, Psalm 57, Psalm 95. And I, I wrote down the first two verses of Psalm 105. It says, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Verse two, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell yes. of all his wonderful acts. Uh, I mean, it goes way, way back. Singing has been a part of corporate worship expressions from the very beginning. And then we also have some very famous examples from the Apostle Paul. And we love when the New Testament gives us some instructions because they are famous. Yes. Yes. And so in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, in both spaces, yeah. Paul instructs the, his readers at the churches where he was writing to to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And because we don't have many explicit instructions for exactly what to do when we gather for worship, we have historically held very tightly to the ones we do have. And from right. the New Testament, we know for sure we're supposed to sing. 
So we right. might argue about what exactly does it mean when he says spiritual songs or which hymns are he talking about? But, right. you know, at the end of the day, Paul tells us to sing. And, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, I'm kind of anticipating your next question of, of why, why do we sing? Uh, every good Sunday school kid knows that the answer is always Jesus. And right. uh, if, if, <laughs> if the Psalms and the history and Paul's writings aren't enough, I should also mention that both Matthew 26 and Mark 14 tell the story of Jesus singing a hymn with his disciples. And then in Romans 15, 9, Hebrews 12, there's also images of Jesus singing. So we've got Jesus singing, all Christians throughout history singing, mm -hmm. Paul telling the churches to sing. Seems like it's yeah. a good idea for us to keep keep on yeah. singing. You, we'll probably keep referencing the passage in Ephesians, like singing of songs, spiritual songs over and over again here. But like that is like if we expand a little bit on that passage, he it, he's giving us a diet. You know, we don't and he's comparing it. And, you know, we would have grown up with this a lot. But like, do not be drunk on wine. Instead, like, you know how we are filled with the spirit and refilled with the spirit. It's by engaging in this rhythm and act of singing it does something in our brains it's it's part of our bodies when we use our voices to worship and sing so it's yes it's the thing and into why we sing and we we mentioned old testament and new testament worship but for a long time in church history then up until maybe the last 50, 60 years, we, we didn't see as much singing in, uh, in church services, in liturgies. And, and so there were different forms of art. And I'm wondering how, how much you have seen that shift, like, I, I mean, or if you can talk about like, what was the predominant art form? I know you and I have talked about this in the past of like, what if you as a believer don't identify with music and singing in the same way as other art forms, but it wasn't the predominant art form in the church for a long time. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I've often wondered what it would be like if I just didn't like music, you know, what a, right. <laughs> what a difficult thing that would be. I mean, for me, it's the opposite extreme. I've made such a huge part of my life, the pursuit of musical excellence and uh, just trying to, I don't know, trying to prioritize that. But uh, for, for some who don't like music, you know, what, where does that leave them as far as expressing themselves in worship? And um, yeah, thinking of the way that songs have been used in the past you know, the, the current version of, you know, singing a large chunk of music all at once in, in worship on a regular basis, that's mm -hmm. the part that's quite new. You know, we take yeah. it for granted because it, it is probably a little bit older than our own personal experiences in worship, although it still, it has been changing even in, in re very recent times. But for years and years, music would be interspersed throughout the service with other things. Right. Um, our sensibility for flow now sort of demands that perfect transition from one song to the next and this sort of uh, yes. pad that undergirds all of our spiritual decision making and all of that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, but that that hasn't always been normal, but I think that is a, an indication of changing cultural sensibilities as well. 
So it's not just that right. these things have been changing in the church. They've been changing throughout time and throughout culture. And that's what we've seen as the church has continued to move and grow from its beginnings to where we are now a couple thousand years later. The artistic expressions in the church often reflect the artistic expressions in culture. And we use what seems to come natural to us to give praise and honor to the Lord, whether that's through the artwork that turns out to be on a beautiful piece of stained glass or a different piece of art or icons or different things around the worship space that adorn the the sanctuary, so to speak, where whereas now we have these very long extended musical expressions, even with like mm -hmm. other media being involved, you know, projection on screens, lighting, yeah. all of that being something that we take uh, to, to be a part of worship. You know, if, if you've got a good, a good, God honoring person behind the lighting board, they're treating that with the same kind of intentionality right. as somebody who's playing the keyboard or playing a guitar or doing something like that. So right. we've kind of taken those types of expressions and and yet it's it's all musicalized, where in the past you might be able to, you know, offer up some sort of other visual art or some kind of liturgical dance or other kinds of expressions which you can still find but are not as normalized or as corporate now as i'm singing When that change you brought up like the strong corporate singing that's happened like we have in the was it in the early 60s vatican ii which like put a re-emphasis on the work of the people yeah and and how that in my mind like also helped shift what we see in churches and in my church your church where we there was just a, a stronger involvement to get people involved with the service that they weren't just watching anymore because we prior to that you know i mean especially in catholic circles it was service was still in latin you know who who's you know it's a dead language and so there was a strong concerted effort there all right we have to this has to be about people bringing worship and for us in our culture, every culture is different, but in our culture, singing was the strong medium by which we expressed ourselves. So, yeah, it's definitely become the strong thing that we, in our artistic uh, outputs, <laughs> that we uh, that we just go to singing, and it is important. And we, you know, we both obviously love it. It's, yeah, I, think, um, I think we see that in other areas of our culture as well. Like when you're a kid and you learn the patriotic songs or you learn mm -hmm. the, the, you learn the alphabet by singing it, you know, you learn right. so many things. Uh, we don't really even notice that that's how we're learning it until it's memorized. And then sometimes you even like maybe learn the States or something and someone asks you what a question and you kind of have to re-sing the song in your head to go back and find right. the answer. Yes. Um, 
And there was a, it reminds me of a quote that I, it's attributed to Plato, although there's a discrepancy over whether he said it or not. He said, uh, let me write the songs of a nation and I care not who writes its laws. As if to say, if yeah. you can get, if you can get those things deep inside the people, it won't really mm -hmm. matter what the politicians do. And so then there was a theologian, R.W. Dale, who kind of rephrased that for the church and said, let me write the hymns of the church and I care not who writes its theology. Like mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to form these people. We're going to uh, inform these, these folks with what they sing. And if, if, if it doesn't match with the doctrines or the theology, the songs are going to win. Like we're going to, we're going to get this deep inside of people. Yeah. And so we have to be very intentional about what exactly we're singing. Yeah. Do you, this is a little bit of an offshoot here a little bit, but do you think that singing has become too, too important for our church congregants? That's a, that's a good question. It reminds me, uh, there's another uh, mutual friend of ours, Dr. Dave Collins, and I have had this conversation about sort of the over-musicalization of Christian worship. Mm -hmm. And and I think part of that is a cultural sensibility. It's like the same reason why on an old episode of Full House, when someone was going to get reprimanded, the music enters in right before the, <laughs> you know, the, that lecture conversation. It's the same reason in a, in a, a movie why you know all of the soundtrack kind of leads to those emotional moments we kind yeah. of have that same sensibility in our our worship where as soon as the the big moment comes there has to be music you know you don't approach the mm -hmm. table without music you don't get to the end of the sermon without a little bit of music backing that up so there's something there's something there uh for sure as far as it too much overemphasized um there's a it reminds me of a conversation that took place years ago between Robert Weber and Chuck Fromm, who was the longtime editor of Worship Leader magazine. And they were they were having a back and forth on whether or not singing was a sacrament or could be considered sacramental. Right. And Weber was trying to emphasize a, the importance of returning to the table or uh, some of these historic sacramental practices of worship. And Fromm was was saying, well, you know, in the ancient church, people experienced the presence of God at the table. And at the time of the Reformation, people began to experience the presence of God at, during the sermon. But in yeah. modern times, people experience the presence of God when they sing. And, mm -hmm. and we can't we can't overlook that. And there was some disagreement there. And it was, you know, it was good scholarly discourse. Right. I tend I tend not to try to categorize maybe so much and as if we have to choose between i think right if, if we're having if we're having legitimate genuine encounter with the holy spirit during our music then let's lean into that but it doesn't yeah. mean we do so at the expense of drawing attention to god's presence at the table or god's presence in the word or in the prayers right. uh, or in these other aspects of christian worship so it doesn't have to be an either or you know, it can be right. like we we do these things together. So I think that the the problem would come if we if we see and we have a tendency to do this. We see that the music is working. People are mm -hmm. really having an encounter with Jesus. And so we just keep going and then we forget about all these other ways that are so important for yes. us to engage with as well. Yes. Yes. And you and I have talked about this extensively in the past about having a balanced diet with our worship that. Mm -hmm. You know, even in the themes we sing, 
you know, we don't want to overload in certain types of songs. We want to bring, and this is what we try to do at New Life, Vinny, I know you try and do this at your church as well, like that we're not just singing about how we're feeling towards God, but we're just singing, singing things about God, about different attributes of what he's done in our lives and bringing a, a, a breadth to what we are singing. And, but that also applies to everything that we do in our service that we are also, there's a breadth in going to the communion table over and over again and hearing the word in our prayers. So uh, yeah, balanced diet all the way. Yes. We want to be healthy in that. Right. And, and it's so easy for us to, like notice something that's missing from our diet and then just go all in on that. Like, yes. Oh, we haven't had vegetables. So let's just throw away everything else and just do that. Or, and then the pendulum continues to swing. And mm-hmm. so th- th- like you just made a, a great point about singing about God. There's been tension in the past between, should we sing about God or to God? And at the, you know, as we've kind of transitioned from evangelical hymnody to contemporary worship music, a big emphasis has been, we're not only going to sing about God, we're going to sing directly to him. We're going to have this intimate, direct communication. Yes. Well, that's a beautiful thing. That's a necessary thing, but it's not an either or. Again, it's not something that we have to leave behind. If you read the Psalm texts, it's both. It's singing, a, declaring the truth of God and singing to him directly. And I think of two songs about God's greatness that are, had become very popular over the last mm-hmm. you know 20 years or so with how great is our god and great are you lord essentially yeah. the themes of those songs are about god's greatness and they've become anthems for the church and you could go to any number of churches and they will know those songs but one of them right. says how how great is our god and then says to the people sing with me it even acknowledges that there are other people in the room and right. says hey let's all sing together about god's greatness great are you lord is directly to him saying you're great right just right. from me to you so it we don't have to say oh we you know how great is our god is about god we're not going to do that one anymore we're going to do this one instead no there right. are, there are instances where it's important for me to tell that to god directly and there's other times when it's important for us as collectively to mm-hmm. declare that truth yes amen 100 amen uh i want to shift our conversation here a little bit towards the Psalms, we have, and I know you are passionate about the Psalms and how the singing of Psalms, and I wonder if you can talk about the history of singing the Psalms a little bit in churches and how it has uh, quote unquote stopped a little bit, (laughs) that we don't have that same rhythm. And um, yeah, I wonder if you could enlighten us on the history of what Psalms have been in the church. Yeah, they're a pretty interesting through line, you know, through seasons when uh, corporate singing was less prioritized, the Psalms endured in some ways. So they're kind of like the one group. And even when we kind of want to split hairs over what Paul would have meant in Ephesians and Colossians, talking about Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, no one really argues that when he said Psalms, he meant Psalms. So the hymns might be the, the, the known standard songs of a particular era. Yeah. Spiritual mm-hmm. songs, most people understand to mean original in that time, whether spontaneous. Some people really want to focus on in the moment, spontaneous spiritual songs and others, just whatever the Lord is leading his 
people in that era to compose and, and share with the body. But no, nobody argues that when he said to sing the Psalms, he meant the Psalms. Right. And so that's been pretty consistent throughout Christian history. And if we are, this, I, this quote really cuts deep for me. N.T. Wright wrote a book called The Case for the Psalms, Why They Are Essential. Mm -hmm. And in the grand scope of the books that N.T. Wright has written, this is a small and easy read. But yeah. one thing that he says in that book that really got me is <clears throat> he said, if you are a Christian and you don't sing the Psalms in worship, then you are among the first Christians ever to not sing the Psalms in worship. Mm. So if if we're going to regular worship services and we are not <laughs> engaging with the Psalm texts, then we are pioneering uh, like uncharted spaces in worship. Right. And that, that was convicting for me as a worship leader, someone who's curating the uh, the songs that my congregation sings or doesn't sing. That, now, to be fair, contemporary worship music is oftentimes inspired by psalms. Many of the first yes. choruses that were introduced in the 60s and 70s were variations of right. psalm texts. And that has also been normative throughout Christian history. Even at the time of the Reformation, uh, as Martin Luther was composing hymns and, uh, you know, like John Calvin was uh, endorsing metrical psalmody, which for years and years and years before that time, it had been uh, verbatim psalm text. You got to sing it straight from scripture. And yeah. Calvin was saying, well, what if we could just, you know, use a metrical psalmody approach, which is you use the basis of the text, but you could have a little liberty at the end, a little poetic license for a rhyme scheme or for mm -hmm. uh, a cadence that made sense for the music or something like that. Right. So little adjustments. Um, and then in our time, it seems more common to read a psalm, pull out a line, use that as inspiration and then write our own song. So like right. the heart of the heart of the psalms exists in a lot of what we're singing. But as far as like calling all the way back to singing the verbatim text the the word of god in yes. its original form that really is not very common in churches that are contemporary in their approach to praise and worship music and i have tried to make it a point to recover some of that myself i think it's good mm -hmm. practice and even across denominational lines when i've had a chance to lead in ecumenical settings or in denominational settings other than my own in then including in pentecostal environments where i find myself most frequently Across the board, no one pushes back if I say something like, this morning we're going to sing the word of God. Like there, right. there isn't a, a Christian group out there who says, I don't know, that's a little risky. <laughs> this, yeah. you know, like, and, and so I'll even tell my students if we're, and it's a little tongue in cheek, but I'll say, you know, if, if you want to write worship music and you can say it better than King David, then write your own. But if not, yeah. we've got this, we've got 150 Psalms that right. are like, right there at our fingertips to use mm -hmm. and to, to engage with. And we never have to worry. I know in uh, what I mean is a, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of discussion of whether or not God's love was literally reckless because of a very famous worship song. Right? Yes, yes, There've been yes. other songs that, that have lines in them where people say, I don't know about that. Is that really true? Yeah, yeah. Right. And we can split hairs over there, over that. And I think, you know, there's a fair amount of, poetry that's always been a part of expressing music and even in church circles. So I, I try to give some flexibility there, although I am pretty passionate about singing the truth. 
what I love about the Psalms is that that kind of poetry exists there. Some mm -hmm. really extreme articulations, especially when it comes to something like lament that we are usually pretty cautious about. Right. So right. if we're if we're going to push the envelope a little bit, if we're going to stretch our people into spaces where it might be a little uncomfortable to articulate something that we think is important, I feel so much more comfortable doing that with a psalm text that I know is the inspired word of God, words that Jesus himself was familiar with. When he said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He yeah. was quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No one, no one was pointing the finger at Jesus and saying, well, God didn't really forsake. I mean, everybody knew that text. It would yeah. be like if, if I was going through a hard time and I said to someone, uh, it is well with my soul. Yeah. Uh, people would say, oh, he's, he's quoting the song, but he, it, it applies in this moment. So yeah. like if I want to articulate that it feels like God has left me, but mm -hmm. I put that in my own words in a worship song, that's probably not going to land very well. If I say, everybody, right. let's stand. I've, I've written a new song. Let's sing it together. God, where are you? I don't feel you here. You know, oh, yeah. man, that's rough. But if I say today we're going to sing God's word. And in fact, on Good Friday, pretty much every year at my church, we sing Psalm 22. My yeah. God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. And then saw that verse 11 of that same text is do not stay so far from me for trouble is near and no one else yeah. can help. There's something beautiful about the expressing that in honesty. And, and when we feel that way, what should we say instead of just powering through with praise and joy, because we feel like we should always celebrate. Yes. No, we have a biblical example of exactly what to say in those moments. And then we don't have to argue over whether or not, it's, you know, this reckless situation. We can just say, yes. no, this is God's <laughs> word. We can sing it with confidence. And yes. trouble is near and no one else can help me but you, Lord. Yes. As you can understand, Vinny and I are agreeing on a lot of things because we do have a lot of the same experiences. And, you know, we're both, if, for those of you at New Life Church here in Ann Arbor, you've seen over the last 18 months a concerted effort in some of the songs that we've written, that they would be scripture, that we would be singing the word of God. And that is no one, you know, like you said, Vinny, it is a, uh, no one's, no one's going to have any qualms with that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we, we see it as the inspired word of God. And so we sing it and there is something deeply formational about that when we are regularly doing that. And even, it's a challenge to me as well. And I know you're trying to live it out that we would be singing these Psalms more regularly in our churches. Yeah. And uh, I know that's something that a practice that I recently started to do just with my worship team, because we wanted to, I, I was feeling a little bit of conviction from the Holy Spirit about embodying the Psalms more as we start our practice times out by reading the Psalms together. So we actually go around in a circle. It's like, all right, we each take a verse and we just go through a psalm and just see what the Spirit is speaking to us and that we're just embodying it and, and saying it aloud um, and then let our, our singing come out of that. So also a little plug for, for Vinny and his music. He has written some 
amazing song uh, sets. And we've even, once in a while, I've actually done one of his uh, song laments with song six, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, where he has a, yeah, it is a great refrain, but can be easily applied to a lot of other songs. Yeah. And we, I remember when we did it in the service, like just singing that how long the word, letting that lament uh, wash over us. And then we read the rest of the passage at whatever we were doing that morning. I can't remember. It was a while ago, but like those, those passages, like letting, letting the word wash over us, you know, we are, we, I do like, we say this over again, we are renewed by scripture and prayer. And if we're singing that, that is a way that we are worshiping God with our strength. You know, it's our being. And that is why we sing on Sundays. Well, Vinny, thank you so much for this conversation. It is a privilege just talking with you. I love this man as a brother. He's been with me for a long time. So thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, wherever you are, it is our prayer that you will join us for gathered worship at New Life Church or wherever you have a church home and that you will worship with deeper fervency and understanding of our God as he invites you into deeper relationship with him. So grace and peace be with you.